This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Well, ladies and gentlemen, despite last week's accusation from our British temp Chauncey, I did not lose my voice yelling at my cats. In fact, I don't even own cats. And if I did, I think I would have enough consideration not to raise my voice at the loving roommates that may one day inherit my small fortune of snow globes. On to more important news, Dr. Parsley is back. This time, he speaks specifically to the sleep cocktail, official name patent pending, that John and company have been raving about. As Doc discusses, there really is no substitution for a solid eight hours of sleep. However, he'll describe some meditative practices that may help with sleeplessness. Why do executives and politicians perpetuate the myth that sleeping less equates to more productivity? Doc debunks the bullshit with science today. Curious as to how certain diets or macro breakdowns may be affecting your Z's? Or what impact sleep deprivation may have on brain function? Stay tuned. Those answers and so much more are just moments away. Remain vertical for the next hour because this is episode 138. What's happening, Power Athlete Nation? Welcome to Power Athlete Radio, the first show of 2016. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm joined with John, Luke, and Tex. And our guest today, rocking out round two on Power Athlete Radio, Dr. Kirk Parsley. What's happening, guys? We're good. Thank you. Hey, Thanks man. for having us. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy to be here. I, I didn't realize that was the first show of the year. I feel the first show now. of the year. I yeah, to start so, off slow and then pick up steam. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was going to say, it's a good idea to set the bar low and then trip over from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's been our whole deal. The you know, How long have we been doing this podcast? Like seven years? No. This is first year? Oh, okay. First year. Seven. We're doing a reset. <laughs> the am, am, amnesia reset. Oh, I like forget about all the garbage from the previous three years and we're starting fresh. Oh, I mean, we found out we were wrong about everything and... You know, uh, everything's changed. The new year, it's new actually contest. pretty accurate. Um, I should have written my book uh, years ago because I thought I actually knew a lot more then. Now every yeah, year I go and I realize how much little I know, and instantly it gets farther and farther away when I realize I'm like, fuck, this was way easier a couple years ago when I knew everything. Yeah, exactly. It's like like being a teenager, man. It's like the, uh, teenagers know everything about life, and then. I felt the same way in medicine and sleep and nutrition and fitness and everything. It's like you learn a little bit and you're like, shit, I know everything. And then you, you know, keep pulling back the layers of the onion. You're like, I'm an, I'm an idiot. I should just. Well, you pull back, you know, that's good. also because you're an ogre. So, you know, and ogres have lots of layers. But Doc, hey, uh, before you get rocking, can you just give the audience your CV and we can talk a little bit from there about uh, the sleep cocktail and our own experiences. But um, just remind people how wonderful you are and what a magical, special snowflake you are. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a I'm a great guy. I'm a great square dancer. Um, yes, yeah. So uh, yeah, former Navy SEAL, left the SEAL teams, went to college, uh, went to medical school, went under the military's uh, 
medical school training there. Went back to the SEAL teams, um, you know, built, uh, helped build the, the first sports medicine facility they had there, hired a bunch of really smart sports medicine and strength and conditioning coaches and all these guys who knew more than I did, so then I was the dumbest guy around, so they put me in charge of it. Um, so I managed that for uh, about three and a half years, and um, all these SEALs started coming to me, talking to me about, you know, these, uh, you know, this litany of problems that all sounded very similar and all sounded sort of like, you know, metabolic disease or pre-metabolic disease or pre, maybe even like, you know, pre-diabetes, and they had some sleep issues, they had hormonal issues, they had, you know, yeah, motivation and uh, concentration issues, and just kind of this this whole mishmash of uh, crap. And I realized that medical school had not prepared me at all to deal with any of this, and so I I just started really digging deep down the functional medicine kind of pathways and self education and working with you know world renowned experts on all of that, and uh, that led to lectures and interviews and you know whatever blogging and uh, the, one of the things I did with the sleep uh, with the SEAL teams was get them all off of Ambien because <clears throat> they're handing out Ambien, Ambien like candy, and uh, in doing so, I you know I had to replace Ambien with something, and that's where the sleep cocktail came from. And it was really developed over the course of, of a couple of years of just adding ingredient by ingredient and tinkering you know tinkering around with it. And uh, uh, yeah, so much to the launch of that in June, I've been you know I've been really uh, uh, digging down, uh, <laughs> digging down this you know business development track and production and all that. So I spent a, probably about half my time doing that, and about half my time you know being a doctor now. Well, for those of you guys that don't know, uh, Doc Parsley <laughs> launched a sleep cocktail that's a powder that you end up putting in about eight to ten ounces of water and drink before bedtime. Um, I've actually been using it daily or nightly, more more uh, more accurately for. Geez, uh, it'd have to be four to six months, and you know we uh, picked up some samples, and I know Luke and the guys have been doing it, and also the bigger one, because I figure we're young, healthy, somewhat young, healthy individuals, actually providing it to my dad and some of our older sleep, uh, you know, older clients around us, like Huey, for example, and uh, you know my dad has never slept more than three or four hours a night, and after taking the sleep cocktail, has had some of the best sleep he's ever had, and uh, he tried Ambien and ended up like having some pretty interesting stuff where he like found himself like downstairs in the kitchen and like kind of woke up and was like how they get down here. So uh, that ambient can be yeah. pretty pretty dangerous stuff but it's actually uh, you know we'll talk a little bit about like the ingredients and how it all goes. We've had some really interesting uh, you know effects and uh, you know experiences with it and that have all been very very positive and even we can get into a little bit of loading. I know Luke Took what one every thirty minutes until you passed out. I mean, it was a little weird, but and you were at the bar. Which well, I wasn't even. I was just snorting the powder. <laughs> I thought that's how you're supposed to take it, and then I, you know, I just assume powder snort, right? <laughs> that's what I do with my BCAAs, protein. Well, it's uh, you know, the, the membrane of the nose is extremely thin, so it's got much better absorption. Yes, exactly. That is that's that's what I tell with all that's what I tell all my uh, BPH clients who you know complain they have to get up and go pee like ten times a night and if they take the supplement I say well you know just snort it then work it works well don't don't actually do that <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that was all a joke yeah yeah well that's <laughs> okay. part of having a sense of humor. I, uh... <laughs> 
So, Doc, uh, you know, just looking at the package, I mean, uh, melatonin, magnesium, and just trying to kind of find, like, the uh, perfect remedy or the perfect amounts to try to help this. And on top of it, it actually has a wonderful apple taste. Apple cinnamon. Yeah, oh, apple cinnamon, yeah. 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 Uh, Thank God it doesn't have a Jägermeister taste. <laughs> <laughs> the black licorice taste. Yeah, maybe maybe the next the next version. I mean, I, I definitely want to... I mean, there's definitely some stuff I would like to add into that uh, product, but you know, it'll, it'll just have to come as as the you know business development allows it. Um, but you know that 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 product is really just the you know the the most basic standard form that I that I came up with with uh, working with the seals. And you know, really, all I did is I just I started with like basic physiology books on sleep because I'd never. I mean, literally, they don't teach you anything about sleep in medical school, and I didn't. I hadn't learned anything about sleep in undergraduate, so I just was going back to some just really basic books, and then just working with more and more advanced books, and then you know, consulting with experts and so forth. But um, really, I mean, there, there's two. Re- it, you know, you always hear people talking about sleep hygiene and um, you know, doing their nighttime sleep ritual and all that, and and that can be. I mean that that's an endless number of things that you could that you could describe as sleep hygiene. What contributes to that? But your when when your brain is going to sleep, uh, you know, which is basically what has to happen. It's your brain that falls asleep, not really your body, right? Um, there's two things going on. One is that melatonin is being secreted, and that's leading to a lot of a lot of effects, which we could talk about as geeky as you guys wanted to. And then the other thing that's uh, going on is that your neocortex, your big human brain that makes us the smartest animal on the planet, that's actually slowing down. So that that has to slow down, and that's what your uh, that neocortex is your is how you interact with your environment, right? It's how you sense the environment, and it's how you interact with the environment. And so that part of your brain has to slow down, which is why you can, you know, be dead tired all day at work and say like I'm like the as soon as you know all you're thinking all day like as soon as work's over I'm going home and going to bed, and then you know one of your buddies. You know, talks you into going to happy hour. You have a couple of you know CNS depressants. You know, you have a couple of alcoholic drinks. You should be more tired, but you're more awake, and that's because you've woken up your neocortex. So, slowing down the neocortex happens from GABA uh, infusion in the brain and GABA release in the brain, um, and then the production of melatonin is kind of what leads to the cascade of events that allows the wake-promoting neurotransmitters, things like epinephrine and serotonin and histamine that make you really awake, allows those to be decreased and GABA to be increased. And so all that's in the product is all the constituents along the way of making melatonin, a dusting of melatonin, and then a, you know, a form of GABA that can cross the blood-brain barrier. So yeah, it's, it's nothing super revolutionary. It's just kind of a, a a complete product, you know, it, it kind of handling both aspects. Doc, uh, what kind of factors? I mean, obviously, uh, children and babies. I mean, anybody that on this podcast or you know, listening that has kids, uh, the analogy of being able to sleep like a baby is, you know, pretty accurate. I mean, kids just get knocked out. Why is it over time, um, and as we start to age, does sleep become like the quality of sleep kind of uh, you know deteriorates, and all of a sudden your ability to sleep isn't as easy? I mean, I, I put my kids in their car seats. And they are sound asleep before I even pull out of the driveway. So, uh, you know, whereas, you know, the older clients and some of the people that I've worked with that were at more advanced age, I mean, have terrible sleep. Is it a hormonal thing? Is it a deterioration of the brain? I mean, what are the key factors that would really drive that? And it's kind of got to be a crossroads, right? Because there are also people who age and insist 
they still have no problem sleeping, sleep like a baby, can fall asleep like that. Who? Case in point, the starfish. Who? You're... Uh, Packy. Well, she's not even 30. She's tw- 29. Okay. But still, at 29... I think John is sort of like 60-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, okay, like, but look, even, but even going down that, it's a progression. Is it not? Like, um, I can't fall asleep like a baby. I, I don't still fall do. Asleep in a car sleep. Car I still seat. do. Um, if you put me in a car seat, I will fall asleep. So there, there's two, there's <laughs> so, two individuals. Well, uh, okay, but age. I mean, um, my dad uh, never had problems sleeping, and then he said he was all around, maybe around 40, 45 years old. Um, you know, he was like, uh, had trouble falling asleep. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's never slept more than maybe three, four hours in a night. But he said he used to be able to fall asleep instantly, wake up, and be totally rested, and now he has more and more trouble falling asleep. So, so compare and contrast, my old man, who still is that person, falls asleep at the same time every day, sleeps eight hours a night, no problem, bing, bang, boom. Ready really? Go. Yeah. Okay, well, get into it, Doc. So, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's there's a couple of things going on there, and there's a, uh, you know, a, a couple of variances how that manifests itself. Really what's going on with, with children Children have obviously a really high metabolic rate, and their brain is no different. Um, so their neurological tissue is just a lot more active than us, and they're building up a lot more byproducts. Um, a, a lot of uh, you know things like interleukin six and TNF alpha, and uh, these sort of uh, you know some people call them neurotoxins. I wouldn't call them quite toxic, but they're you know they're they're inflammatory uh, components that need to be flushed out of the brain. So. Uh, that you know, that's one thing that's happening to them. But they're also you know just a lot more active than we are, and they're building up a lot of adenosine from the breakdown of ATP. Uh, and adenosine is what causes sleep pressure. So like, the, and what what I mean by sleep pressure is when you that drive to like push you to sleep to like you know really crash hard instantaneously. That's sleep pressure. If you're just sort of you know laying in bed and softly drifting off to sleep over 30 minutes, you have low sleep pressure. If you're somebody who, as soon as you put your head down, and you're snoring. That's high sleep pressure, and it and it really drives you really quickly into deep uh, deep sleep or slow wave sleep cycles, which is stages three and four. Um, so. Yeah, you know, there's a multiple factors that go on. One thing is that honestly, just most people in their 40s and 50s and 60s aren't nearly as active as they were when they were younger. Uh, so there you have decreased, um, you know, you have some decreased adenosine and a decreased sleep pressure there. Another thing is, you know, people really start uh, having, you know, concerns and worries about their life and you know financial future and their kids' college fund and all that stuff. All that. All that kind of starts creeping up, and then that component of uh, sleep that I was talking about, where you have to turn the neocortex off, and you have to get that you have to get that neocortex to slow down and quit interacting with your environment. And that includes just thinking about your environment. So that you know that gets harder, and that's essentially you know just stress. You could just sim- you know simplify that and say that you know that there's stress, there's more stress involved, um, and uh, you know to to go along with the with the stress, you have uh, you have to consider that people, um, as they live in a high stress environment for multiple years, you're running into either excessive adrenal function if you're lucky, or you know a complete sort of adrenal exhaustion, which now your entire hormonal milieu has been shifted and you know, neurotransmitters that would ordinarily stimulate your brain or might be depressing your brain and vice versa because all sorts of receptors and things change in the brain and it gets that gets really messy uh, there. But, um, you know, the, the heightened stress 
the adrenal, you know, heightened adrenal hormones that then have to be overcome by more melatonin. And then ironically, like one of the things that we do know that happens to people's brains through autopsies, you know, the elderly tend to have really small sort of shriveled up pineal glands, which is where your melatonin is being secreted from. That's not everything, but that's a lot of it. Uh, nutrition, uh, you know, I would tie into there as well as just because most people um, become obviously more nutritionally sensitive as you get older because, you know, they're less active because the hormones in their entire bodies have shifted down, their gut biome has shifted, like all of that stuff it, kind of as you get older, you have to obviously pay more attention to things like insulin sensitivity. So back before the show, uh, we were talking a little bit about the cocktail, and uh, for those of you who are like, you know, just give a little detail on it. It's a it's a packet that you rip open, like uh, John said, drop it eight to ten ounces of water, take a sip, and then you go kind of through your your nighttime ritual of going to bed. And typically, about a half hour later, uh, in my in my experience, it's about a half hour, and your lights out essentially, um, sleep through the night, and you wake up through the day. Now. You were talking about some people having not or not having that effect or dissimilar effects. What's so? What's going on with that? What's some of the other feedback they get, and what are you finding? Yeah. people are doing right or doing wrong. Well, so um, you know, there, there's there's really strong science about the uh, you know the circadian rhythm and the alignment essentially of our bodies, our biological clocks, with the rise and fall rise and fall of the sun. Um, you know, that, that's, that's done through, as most people know, light, uh, and, and particularly blue light that comes into your eyes and it stimulates your brain to be awake, and as blue light goes away because the sun's gone down, that's when the cascade of events should start to occur to produce melatonin and to decrease wake-promoting neurotransmitters and to increase GABA and to start slowing down the neocortex. Um, you know, what a lot of people, a lot of people don't do is decrease that blue light in their eyes. So, you know, one of the things that the sleep product is designed to do is kind of accelerate that pathway, right? If, if you haven't done really well with your sleep hygiene, at least we're putting in like every, you know, every constituent along the melatonin production pathway and giving you a little bit of melatonin and giving you a little bit of GABA and we're giving you a fighting chance. Um, honestly, the product doesn't last long enough to keep people asleep if their brain is like completely wired to be awake. So people that are super you know, stressed out, that are maybe in the tired and wired phase, they might have a ton of sleep pressure from, uh, you know, from uh, just, you know, how busy their day is and they built up, a, you know, a ton of neurotoxins during the day. They have a ton of adenosine built up in there. So they go to sleep really easily. Um, but, you know, they, they wake up routinely in the middle of the night. So they, you know, so they go, well, I'm going to start taking a sleep cocktail. Well, what's happening with these people is as soon as their sleep pressure has been relieved by, you know, the flushing of some neurotoxins and, uh, you know, slowing down the neocortex a little bit and hitting, hitting a good, you know, nice deep cycle of, you know, one, at least one sleep cycle, which is about 120 minutes, sometimes two, um, the, their excessive adrenal hormones wake them right back up. So what I tell those people to do, you know, I usually have a conversation with them first and we kind of, you know, figure this out. And if it, if it seems like that's the mechanism that we're fighting, uh, you know, they say, well, I take the sleep cocktail, but I still wake up. I just say, well, you know, mix the sleep cocktail, put it next to your bed and don't take it until you wake up. If you don't have any problems falling asleep, but you have problems staying asleep, 
then we can you know, reinitiate, help you reinitiate the cascade there. But that takes some compliance on the patient's part or you know customer's part, I guess I should say, um, uh, because you know one of the one of the worst things you can do is the most common thing that people do is when they wake up they look at their clock. Um, so you're putting a minimal amount of bright light in your eyes, and so maybe that matters, maybe it doesn't matter. But what you are doing is you're waking your brain up, right? You're looking at what time it is, and you're going to start doing calculations. You're going to start doing some mental math about your day and how you could reorganize stuff. And if you know, if you go back to sleep now, you'll get you know an extra, you know, you'll get you know, one hour, you know, one hour and twenty six minutes of sleep, or you know, what people just start spinning off in all sorts of directions. Um, so I've I've had quite a people, uh, quite a few uh, people talk to me about that. Um, now we've we have the I'd say in the last, it's only been in the last three weeks or maybe four weeks, I've had a couple of people call and tell me they had this refractory effect um, to, you know, a paradoxical ref, uh, effect from the product. Um, so this is exceedingly rare. <laughs> uh, you know, we, I, I don't know how many thousands, you know, we've sold, you know, six or 7,000 boxes of the stuff at this point, and so, you know, three people have contacted me and said, you know, this just like makes me wake up. It, it makes me sleep worse. Um, so in those situations, you know, sometimes that's uh, sometimes that's a shift work issue. Um, but what I would my research on you know these particular guys, you know, uh, led me um, uh, led to my understanding of, of this uh, this process in the brain that I didn't I didn't realize happened. So um, when you're when you're really young and your brain is developing. Um, GABA, the you know the the neurotransmitter that's usually slowing down your neocortex, can actually excite regions of the brain. Um, why that happens in in children, we don't know. Um, but it's a different uh, it's it's a different reaction to the same molecule binding the same receptor. So there's certain there's certain regions of your brain where you have a lot of GABA receptors, and when you put GABA in there, it activates your brain. Certain regions of your brain are more active while you when you go to sleep. Um, but usually those the the uh, stimulating uh, neuro or the stimulating receptors, the stimulating effect on the receptors uh, throughout the brain and children goes away as you get older. And what I think is happening in these guys, although I, I don't, I mean, I, I, this is purely a postulate at this point. I haven't seen any research for anybody who's done brain biopsies on people and figured it out. But I think that they're just not, they're not losing um, their GABA receptor uh, concentration differences in different regions of the brain like most adults. Um, and so, you know, those people just really can't take the product just because it has a form of GABA in there. They could probably, you know, take the product if, if I had a version of it without GABA. Um, and that's that's what I've been having them do. I just say, well, you know, let's send you out piecemeal and just buy all the individual ingredients and take it that way and see if that works. Um, and that has worked. So now this could be, uh, I mean, you're clearly the expert, but just anecdotally, uh, you know, I, I'm always curious if more is better. So I took the product for about three days, one packet, then three days, two packets. And then I tried three packets before bed, and what I noticed is I had that similar effect that yeah. it didn't actually – I didn't 
I didn't slow down. I didn't power down. I ended up just laying in bed like wide awake. And I'm like, well, more isn't necessarily better. I should probably just follow the instructions. Well, you know, I actually had a, a little bit of a different deal in that I took one and I felt pretty good. And then I took the second one and I woke up like wiping the side of my mouth because I was drooling all night. And uh, my wife was like, uh, you went deeper. Well, she actually said to me, she's like, I was kind of a, a little nervous for a second because uh, your breathing was so faint that I actually, you know, because my wife is like, uh, you know, typical mom. Like, I, I joke that, like, uh, ants are talking in the other room and she, like, wakes up um, where, like, the yeah. kids like, make a noise. And my wife's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, God. But um, she says, she goes, you know, you didn't even move to the point where I, I had to check to see if you were breathing. And I was like, well, I too much. But I, I, uh, the thing which is kind of interesting, um, at least with the sleep cocktail, I think, it can maybe exasperate problems or bring things more to light. Like, um, you know, maybe for me, like I, I've never had problems sleeping. I just take it because uh, I want to test it and use it. And, you know, hey, why wouldn't you want better sleep? But maybe for you it's overloading. Or, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe it was that coffee you had last Tuesday. It could be. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, what, what you guys just said, and, John, I think you're right on it, was, um, I mean, obviously – you're uh, considerably larger than the average Joe, and so um, it, you know the idea that you would need more of a supplement than somebody else is is uh, you know a pretty logical assumption. Um, but what I have found, and for me, um, is that if I take two, I it does wake me up. Um, so I I, for, I forget who said that at the beginning. If they took three and it woke him up. Uh, or woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, what I think is happening there is just excessive serotonin production. Uh, serotonin is in the pathway of producing melatonin, and serotonin is a wake-promoting neurotransmitter. Um, you know, the other sort of, you know, perhaps, uh, I don't know, uh, pie-in-the-sky uh, hopeful idea is that you're getting, you know, a deeper quality of sleep uh, to where you're just doing that normal uh, biphasic sleep that you know we evolved to do. So, you know, evolutionarily, people that were you know pretty f you know at least say maybe 20, uh, 20, de 20 degrees of uh, latitude away from the equator um, tended to sleep in two sections of the night because of the night was so long. They would they would do all their deep slow wave sleeps uh, at the beginning of the night and then they kind of have this mid middle of the night waking where it's an hour to an hour and a half, maybe two hours, and then they would go back to sleep for the rest of the night. Um, but the nights were long enough to do that and they obviously didn't have time clocks and you know to be punched and you know commutes and school schedules and all that stuff. So it, it's not uh, it, it's probably not beneficial for anyone to uh, to do that dual sleep unless they have, you know, 12 hours a night to, to be dealing with, you know, to be sleeping or to be in bed at least. Um, so, that, you know, that, that's my postulate with those, with the two possibilities there. Um, you know, I, I've never had any problems sleeping either. I, I've always said I sleep great. And, then, you know, of course, you know, um, you know, and the SEAL teams, you sort of learn how to sleep in any environment. Uh, I don't think there's a SEAL alive that can't fall asleep on a cactus bush and rocks and, and you know, have a great night's sleep. Um, and, and I think that's carried on to me, and I've always, I've always been able to sleep really well. But when I, you know, when I started taking the product, you know, figure, you know, you should eat your own dog food. Um, I mean, I just, I just sleep better. Like, I, it, was, it was funny, Rob, Rob Wolf came over to my house. We were doing a, uh, we were doing a, symposium it was right before your gig it was uh, the seal fit gig um with mark divine 
and um, you know I uh, you know irony of all irony of all ironies I I was in uh, California in my San Diego house and I'd just gotten back from Australia and I hadn't had any sleep product for about a month and Rob's like hey I got an extra one and I'm like no nah, I'm okay um, and then uh, I. Uh, I said, all right, whatever, I'll take it. So I take it, and then the next morning I woke up. I'm like, man, I've got to start using this stuff every night again. So, um, yeah, that that's my experience with it. I mean, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it uh, like there over the years. I mean, we've gone in pretty, you know, pretty deep into trying to figure out, you know, ideally like um, with circadian rhythms and what things really affect sleep. And I, I think I talked to you about this doc offline. We were, uh, you know, when I went and visited Dr. Jin from the Brain Newport or the Newport Brain Research Center, he talked a lot about circadian rhythms and things that disrupt circadian rhythms. Uh, the two, you know, biggest ones he talked about was blue light. I mean, obviously, uh, everybody listening to this probably checks their cell phone right before they go to bed. I know I do, and I sit there and I like try to, even though I dim it, and I'm sure there's some filter on there to filter out blue light. We always end up checking it because how hard is it to turn off? Uh, and then the other two were uh, caffeine, and the biggest one was dehydration through either alcohol or not drinking enough water. Um, the biggest factor he found for people with their sleep was actually being dehydrated. And yeah. he, um, yeah. you know, because the idea of the brain swells and you can't get into, you know, REM, and that's why, you know, everybody here that's gone out for a hard night of drinking will attest that they probably had one of the lousiest sleeps. I don't really know anybody that was like, oh, I. Feel you great. Know, yeah, I, I drank all night and slept like a baby. No, you have a terrible sleep, and part of his deal was actually dehydration, brain swelling, and some other key factors. And I actually found this through uh, a couple clients. I had one client who had his uh, prostate removed because of, uh, you know, obviously cancer, and instead of seeding the prostate and, and doing that, they just removed it. And so he was having um, pretty bad problems with, um, uh, you know, bladder control. And so he was real leery about drinking any water before bed. He didn't want to, you know, and, you know, typical problems that guys deal with later in life. And uh, ended up figuring out that, like, part of his thing was he was so, you know, nervous about drinking water that he was dehydrated and it was really affecting his sleep. And so it was kind of this catch-22, like, you, you know, you have to stay hydrated, but how do you kind of get there? So the sleep cocktail has been extremely beneficial for him. But things like um, sleeping within your circadian rhythms, which is, was always pretty interesting to me when you start looking at the most valuable sleep being between that 10 and 2. And I know Dr. Jin talked about, um, you know, the, that being really the most valuable sleep. And even though you go to bed, let's say 11 or a noon or, or uh, I'm sorry, 11 or midnight or 1 o'clock, really that, that valuable time is between that 10 and 2. And so from that point on, I always just try to be in bed at least by 9.30, 9.45. And actually last night I went to bed uh, right after the kids at 8.15. And, uh, you know, ended up waking up and having some of my best sleep. So I think sometimes, um, you know, and I know this especially happens to my wife, is that almost like the pressure of not sleeping. So, like, when you go to bed late, there's this feeling that you have just a finite amount of time. So, therefore, you have yeah. to get to sleep, which almost puts more pressure on you, and then you can't sleep. So I know just trying to get into the bed earlier and, like, almost give myself, like, hey, I'm going to get into bed earlier. So if it takes me a little bit of time, I don't have pressure, and I can kind of, you know, not rush in terms of like, you know, trying to get to work within five minutes kind of mentality. So. Yeah. And and then the other thing that happens is you kind of get past that sweet spot of slowing down the, uh, the neocortex, you know, that there is a, a paper that um, just came out in cell biology last month or a couple of months ago about, you know, they studied some hunter gatherers uh, and, and, uh, 
various parts of the world, you know, some, some people that still live like hunter-gatherers and don't have any electricity and they basically eat, you know, a, a paleo diet and, um, you know, live as, as we expect, it, expect our ancestors lived. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, big, big shocker, they, you know, they tended to fall asleep about three to three, I think it ended up being 3.3 hours after the sun went down and they tended to wake up right around sun up. Um, and you know it was uh, yeah no no big no big shocker to me um, but uh, you know the the media sort of spun it as uh, all the you know the, they did actigraphy on it and they the media sort of spun it to where you know these guys were only sleeping five hours a night because you know they were active and you know whatever um, the actigraphy was saying they were awake but they they felt like they were asleep but the but the the point of it is what you just said. Uh, what they found is that if these guys did tend to stay up later, if they stayed up later for any reason, um, even though they didn't have problems getting to sleep, if they went to bed at eleven or midnight as, as opposed to nine or ten, they still woke up at the same time uh, the next morning. So there's definitely a lot to the circadian rhythm and a lot more than we even know. Um, you know. We know little bits and pieces of it, but the thing to remember about the, when we talk about circadian rhythm, we're by and large talking about the lizard brain uh, responding to you know sunlight. But you have to keep in mind that every single cell in your body has its own biological clock, right? And that, and it's not all completely controlled by the brain. And even your gut biome, you know, those bacteria, they all have a biological clock, and they don't have any sensory input to tell them what time it is. Um, so that's why, you know, people who do shift work are just never going to get, you know, they're never going to get a hundred percent of what they would get if they if they slept with their, you know with the way they evolved to go figure. I mean, it, it shouldn't be shocking, but it is uh, to people that. Doc, uh, it kind of goes back to that one that I had on my, um, you know, 42 or 43 things I learned where uh, my grandmother told me years ago to, you know, learn to sleep and live like a farmer, don't live like and sleep like a bartender. And uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, and uh, you always hear these like little anecdotes. And I remember I posted that on my, um, on my blog and the amount of butt hurt from people reading it who were so insulted that one, they were bartenders or they were shift workers and like, how dare I say this, which is pretty interesting seeing is that it's my blog and something my grandmother told me that I'm relating back <laughs> to them. Bartender lives matter, John. I, and, and you know what, and, and how dare I condemn somebody who who's, you know, doing humanitarian work of slinging fucking drinks at a bar <laughs> to a bunch of fucking assholes. Uh, you're elitist fuck. Oh, yeah, elitist I'm elitist fucking asshole. Or the person that has had shift work. And, like, yeah, I mean, uh, my thing is, uh, yeah, yes, the shift work needs to be done to people that have it. But at the end of the day, uh, your sleep and your life will never be as rich as somebody that doesn't have sleep work. And that was a huge amount of butt hurt, And um, it was it was actually pretty epic if you actually go back and read. Yeah, the comments and, are just uh, like, The comments are the best. And I'm like... Me? I'm like, first of all, go fuck yourself, and two, it's my book, and or it's my blog, and this is something my grandmother told me, so I'm really sorry that your feelings are hurt, but um, you know, why the fuck up? But uh, it was uh, definitely Here's pretty accurate. Here's a picture accurate. of a unicorn to make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, but it's pretty accurate. I mean, my my mom's family was, uh, you know, I mean, obviously my dad's family as well, but you know, they moved here, you know, as immigrants from you know Denmark, and then my grandparents, other grandparents, came from Ireland, and. Uh, 
you know, living on that kind of that, uh, you know, on the ranch, on the farm, you know, years ago, uh, you know, artificial light wasn't all that existent. So all of a sudden at night, you know, as things start to calm down, the sun goes down. And then sure enough, the rooster crows and, and what I call God's flashlight comes up, which is the sun. And uh, anybody, you know, here that actually sleeps with their shades up, which like we do at my house, uh, you know, and like, you know, seeing the sun come up. I mean, if, as soon as that sun hits my face, I wake up. And now this time where all of a sudden now it's dark and we get up, we actually bought a machine that is a uh, alarm clock. But you set it and it uh, puts, um, I guess, light. I mean, I don't know what kind of light it is, but whatever, uh, you know, UV rays or whatever the uh, ultraviolet light from the sun uh, it shines it. It has this like kind of panel that looks like a little solar panel, and so all of a sudden that thing comes on and it fills the room with uh, with light. And instantly uh, we set it for you know 5:20, and it comes up, and I literally get up immediately. And then and I, it's funny because uh, uh, my wife literally will get up and go in the bathroom, and she leaves it on because she knows if she turns it off, I'll go back to sleep. So she just leaves yeah. it on, and I'll be like fuck. And then I get up, and then we come to the gym, and we train at six. But it's uh, yeah. uh, it's 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 pretty interesting, and especially with the kids. I mean, like, I I know that they are literally zonked, and then when we put up the shades, they're like, you know, the sun hits them, it'll take a few minutes to kind of wear them out, and then all of a sudden they'll get up and start milling around, or they'll put the, the covers over their head. But, I mean, that kind of deal, I mean, you got to think for, you know, and, and I, uh, the one thing I've, I've, I've really come to appreciate is as time, technology, and science, and, you know, our understanding of what's going around us seems to increase, we actually end up getting farther away from, you know, the way that our lives have been for the last, I don't know, eons, uh, you know, if you're, you know, Ben Carson, it's 6,000 years, but I believe that, you know, mil millions of years, uh, you know, where, <laughs> you know, people really, you know, got up when the sun went up and they started to kind of chill out and when the campfire burned out, they went to sleep or, you know, how it kind of worked. And that's really been our, our MO for the last, you know, you know, millions of years based on how you view this thing. So, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, within the last, what, 10 years now you've added uh, mobile devices where now we're, you know, everybody's, you know, checking their phones, sleeping with their phones by their bed. And I mean, I, I just would love to be able to, to fast forward 40 years and realize like, you know, these are the problems that we're starting to see uh, associated with them. Yeah. And I mean, it, you're, you're so right. The, the shift workers really get butt hurt about that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs now and, like, uh, Fortune 500 CEOs, high-level executives and stuff. And, I mean, you would think that I'm, I'm telling one of these guys that they need to murder their children or sacrifice their children to, to be healthy when I say, you know, you need to sleep more. I mean, nobody wants to hear it. But just like you said, I mean, um, you know, we we evolved to, to sleep like this. And, you know, as I said in my TED Talk, you know, evolution, if, if – if we could have evolved to sleep less, you know, evolution should have favored that, right? Because it, it was a, you know, it's a very uh, susceptible, vulnerable state we're in when we're asleep, uh, you know, when, when we're potential game for, for uh, other predators. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's amazing to me how, re, you know, how resistant people are to this. Uh, but like you say, it's, it's, it's almost as though we've just kind of taken ourselves completely off of the, off the globe. You know, it's like, you know, thanks for the ride, but we've got it from here. We're so smart. We're going to make it, you know, dark when it's light and light when it's dark and hot when it's cold and cold when it's hot. And we're going to you know, drive everywhere instead of walking and wasting all our energy walking. And you know, we're going to figure out ways to eat shit that has nothing to do with food or, or the planet even, you know, that's completely chemically invented. Um, and, you know, to, to think that any of that stuff has deleterious effects, 
um, doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a big stretch of the imagination, but for some reason people want to treat sleep as though it's optional. And it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me um, why people, you know, why people are so recalcitrant to that idea. I mean, it's, it, it's, it seems really, really obvious. <laughs> you know, and I, I sometimes made the, the, the analogy, the analogy of, you know, comparing uh, sort of the debate and the popular press right now about how much sleep we actually need. And are there, are the, are there these genetic mutants that only need three hours of sleep like Donald Trump or whoever's, you know, whoever else is saying they're only sleeping that number of hours. Um, and I used to make this analogy between, you know, say like a vegan or uh, you know, an Atkins diet or vegan or, or, or paleo, you know, something really heavy on animal products. Um, but, but that's not, that's not actually the issue. The more I thought about it, even the vegans and the paleo people are both kind of saying, uh, you know, they're arguing about where you get your calories from, not whether or not you need calories. And people are trying to argue whether or not you need sleep. And it would be just as stupid as, you know, starting your own sort of little diet trend, you know, nutritional trend of saying you don't, you only need half the calories that you've been living off of since you, you know, since this animal evolved. Well, Doc, there, I mean, there, there are people that actually believe, uh, I remember there was a whole dude about uh, basically cutting your calories. If you can learn to live under a thousand calories, you can extend your life. And uh, I was like, yeah, but you're, you might live like a couple years longer, but you're going to be really fucking hungry and upset about it. But don't you think this really goes back to um, really like the idea of co-signing? And I, we, we run into this uh, almost every single day where people have these cockamamie fucking ideas about either training, uh, performance, sleep, whatever. And what they're looking for is somebody to co-sign and almost give them the nod and be like, yeah, I think that makes sense which actually is justification to get them. And, and we run into all the time, like, hey, I'm going to do this, this, and this while doing this, this, and this. What do you think? I think it's a terrible idea. And then they get defensive. And I was like, well, you yeah. asked my opinion, and I disagree with it based on all these other key factors. So why don't we take a step back and see where it's flawed? And I realized that people aren't really interested in your opinion. They're more interested in your co-signing or your signing off on their fucking bullshit. And um, Absolutely. that, that has become almost like this this idea that, you know, there's so much information available to me that I'm going to be able to pull from all these different sources. I'm going to be able to secret squirrel and design my own stuff. And then what I need to do is somebody who has some form of clout bigger than me, I need them to sign off on it. So then when I fuck myself up, I can say, hey, wait a minute, I thought you said this would work. And, um, you know, that's yep. something that is, uh, you know, is kind of confusing a little bit to me. I mean, I you know, I have a a very, very big, vast uh, community of friends and people that I consider to be, you know, the smartest people on the planet, where if I have an idea, I usually ask them, not for them to co-sign, but because I'm interested in their observation or their opinion on it, which will help me kind of decide, like, hey, I'm going to try to drop my calories down to 400 calories, and if I called Rob, and Rob would be like, really, why? You're well, an idiot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and you know what, like, this goes back to this whole idea that Luke Summers, who... Um, occasionally gleans out some serious solid gold nuggets. Can't wait for it. But it was actually the idea <laughs> of the life bouncer. Oh. <laughs> so we have this idea that there are certain things, uh, and it actually started with uh, Caitlyn Jenner, where people go so far off the reservation that they're like at a bar, like you're, you're out, you're having a bunch of drinks, you start lighting it up and acting crazy, and the bouncer taps you on the shoulder and is like, it's time for you to leave the bar. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of people, and I think they need a life bouncer. Uh, you know, the idea that uh, Caitlyn Jenner decided to, you know, become transgender, and then we voted her Women of the Year to me is 
is odd uh, because you know it's not. <laughs> He went and changed. That's his very chromosome. diplomatic. Well, well, think about this. I mean, yeah. what's his, okay? So, yeah. what's his chromosome? What's his chromosome? He's, he's a XY, right? yeah. He's an XY. Did he change his chromosome? Yeah. How do you do that? No. You can't. So technically, yeah. even though you become transgender, you're still a man that just removed his male parts and is taking female hormones. You didn't change your chromosome. So like the like it it it's it fucking boggles me that you know that people want to you know and and whether or not he wants to live his life as a woman but the fact that we were everybody was so up in arms and so happy to congratulate I'm like dude this and well, let's just let's back out of this and say that there okay. are certain situations where you're like this guy's fucking ruining for everybody yeah like the, this is the this is madness so, get him out of here so well, that's, I mean that's really, basically really, what we're at really. Right. Really, what you're describing is, you know, is my experience, um, you know, in this in this health sphere, is that, you know, if you want to if you want to be really popular, if you want to sell a, real, a lot of books, and you want to, you know, have a really popular blog and a really popular podcast, just go tell people what they want to hear. Um, you know, if you start telling people what they don't want to hear, they tend to tune out, and people don't want to hear that. So just like you're saying, they're they're looking for co-signers. You know, it's like, yeah, I want, you know, I want a thousand pound squat and to break the world's record on in marathons or, you know, something completely stupid like that. They're looking for the, the same thing when they when they come to see me. They're like, yeah, hey, I, I want to be smarter cognitively with it. I want to be able to recover faster. I want my sex drive back and my mood and all this stuff. But I don't have time to sleep, so I just want to do it without sleep. So maybe, you know, I've read on this one website that if I... Uh, you know, whatever, I freaking snort sugar and put, uh, you know, butter in my coffee and wear green socks and, you know, you know, do fingertip push-ups or something, that that'll rebalance everything. You're just, any kind of ludicrous crap that, that people actually want to hear, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot more media attention and coverage than somebody who's beating the same drum. It's like, hey, no, this is how we evolved. This is how the body works. This We've known this shit for a really, really, really long time. Nothing's changed. We'll keep you updated, you know? Well, I mean, but it, isn't that really the idea behind, like, a lot of modern, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't use the term modern medicine more in terms of modern pharmacology, where you have these problems. And isn't there just a pill I can take? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much what we've gone to is that it's harder to make a yeah. life change. It's harder to say, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to... Uh, you know, when dinner comes, I want you to cut it in half. I want you to put half in a box. And I want to eat that, that half. And, you know, before you go to bed, I want you to go outside and walk your dog for 30 minutes. I want you to get up in the morning. I want you to try to sleep more. I mean, these are all lifestyle changes. And we've, we've seen this because not only do we prescribe programming, but we got into the, um, the heavyweight fight business of being able to help people with their nutrition and provide some protocols and be able to provide a little bit of accountability. And it's almost, um, you know, and I... You know, anybody that's been to the CrossFit football seminar where I actually got up and, and spoke, uh, especially about nutrition, I talk about that, you know, when you start talking about food, it's almost as if it's the religion of, of, of this millennia that, you know, people have such an emotional connection to food and things and how they've done. And uh, I actually took it a step further where I realized that sleep is as fundamental in terms of, like, food and, and t take a step back with me. But um, those of you guys that are parents, uh, you know, you look at like, hey, I want to provide my kid. Hopefully you do. Like, hey, I want to provide my kid a good diet. And I get talked to me Johnny questions about all this all the time. What should I feed my kids? What should they, you know, how does this whole thing? And not a single person has ever asked me about uh, is there something I should do in terms of a sleep strategy that I should build a set of 
you know, standards or, um, you know, habits within my child about sleeping. And uh, that was yeah. something that my wife and I were real, uh, you know, upfront when we had our kids. She's like, you know what, I don't want them to have to go through uh, being bad sleepers. So, you know what, and we, I did a bunch of research and we actually found uh, these people called sleep coaches. And I thought this was bullshit at first, but these people like, you know, like uh, come to the house and they spend like literally they're, they're there. And as the kid wakes up, they put them back to sleep and they kind of do this whole kind of sleep strategy. And it took about a week, but I mean, honestly, our kids, uh, you know, we put them in bed, you know, 7.30 by about 8 o'clock after they're in there discussing their day for uh, about 30 minutes, which is pretty hilarious to listen to four-year-old twins discuss their day for 30 minutes. If you ever want to have a good laugh, sit outside the door. (laughs) But then they fall asleep, and they sleep pretty consistent um, other than, uh, you know, because they're so little, they have really small bladders, so they, like, have to get up, and then they have to come and tell you that they went to the bathroom, and then they go back, and they're fine. But... Really building healthy sleep habits, I think, starts at such a young age. And you really think, like, parents don't really understand about it. So what do they do? They kind of let the kids sleep when they want to sleep or they sleep here. So, I mean, during the day, if our kids are tired, my wife's like, don't let them sleep. I mean, do they take their nap? They're, you know, this is the nap time. This is the sleep time. And just being really, you know, almost draconian in a lot of ways with it has been, you know, really pretty good. But that idea of, like, you know, you have to be a good sleeper. Uh, from such an early age to be able to set those, just like food. I mean, if you feed your kids a certain diet and, like, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that we recommend, they develop a, a you know, a set of taste buds and kind of this is what they eat. And, like, e- even to the point with our kids now, um, like any type of conventional candy or stuff, they're like, oh, too sweet, and they push it away. And it's because yeah. they've never been really uh, exposed to a lot of this crap. So now all of a sudden here they are at age four, and they're like, they'll – like won't finish stuff or they'll push it away if they're just like, oh, it's too sweet, I can't eat it. Yeah, but don't your dogs like chicken? Uh, yeah, actually, no, no, no. Well, I'll tell you, like, so I fucking hate chicken, uh, like to the point where like I would rather eat dirt than chicken. And so, um, you know, we, you know, like I go kill things. Like we got a bunch of elk. I mean, you know, we, we buy some grass-fed steaks. We buy all this killer meat. We crock pot. And so we pretty much have fed the girls red meat at least one to two meals a day forever since their lives. And uh, yeah. my wife was like, you know, let's change it up and get some chicken. You would have thought that this fucking chicken thing was life-changing. They get so excited. Like we had a crockpot chicken, like this chicken soup last night. They fucking crushed it, asked for seconds, and we're so happy. My daughter's like, I love chicken. This is my favorite meal. I look at her and I was like, we ate chicken like five nights a week growing up other than hamburgers and rice. Uh, so, like, the fact that it just, yeah, I, I literally shake, shake my head. My wife and I just laugh. We're like, I can't believe these kids like chicken. But maybe it's well, because, you know. Yeah, the exact opposite. Yeah, the exact opposite. I mean, what, you, what, what you're really alluding to is the problem that we, all, that we all face in this industry is, you know, trying to talk people into the, into the undeniable reality that lifestyle is going to dictate their life, right? Their health. And, and, you know, I, uh, there's all these, uh, you know, quote unquote biohackers out there now, you know, spinning yarn about all these different things that you can do to hack your, you know, hack this and that feature of your, of your, you know, millions of years old of evolution. And I always remind these people, it's like, what you started that whole thing out with was the pharmaceutical industry, right? The pharmaceutical industry, they are the original biohackers, right? They are the original people who said, hey, let's try to make a molecule that kind of looks like that molecule and does a better job than that molecule does. And we'll have people eat it, and then they'll sleep better, they'll have better erections, or they'll, you know, they, they won't die of cancer, or, or what, you know, whatever 
you know, uh, the kind of trick is. Um, and, you know, how has that turned out so far? I mean, pharma, pharma's getting beaten on right now. Uh, the only reason it exists is because we have so many people with disease now that, that, Dr. You know, that we need it. Doc, they're crushing it. They're making yeah. a lot of money. So, of I mean, course. in, in terms they're. of making of money, they're. they're crushing it. But they have a government, they have a, they have a government, you know, a, like a U.S. government, almost really a world government endorsement of the yeah, monopoly on shit. It, it's a fucking yeah, scam. I mean, the, the, the only bigger can, scam than, than big pharma is anybody that claims to biohack anything. The minute I hear yeah. the <laughs> biohacker, every hair on my body set, uh, goes up and I get the spidey sense yeah. of bullshit. And um, yeah. I literally, I actually want to scream Mortal Kombat and like front kick them in the chest as I pull out my sword <laughs> and fucking slice them in half. I call that bullshit. Uh, dude, I, I tell you, if I hear one more fucking person talking about hacking their own code or biohackers, the, the original biohacker and probably the smartest dude in this mar industry is Tom Inkladon, and he won't even fucking use that term because he hates it so much. So, yeah, um, yeah now, now that I got that off my chest. And now that you've murdered somebody with a sword, we can move Doc. on to something. Uh, Doc, okay, we could talk about this, but uh, I really want to <laughs> kind of uh, turn this and stew this a little bit to uh, ketogenic diet, ketosis, um, you know, you and I have been, uh, you know, obviously on this, you know, the keto train for a while. I mean, and, you know, we're going to preface it with, um, you know, a ketogenic diet uh, is something that's not only interesting to, to us, but also beneficial for people like Doc and I that have, you know, had some, you know, obviously mileage before it. And I'll preface it that the ketogenic diet is not what I would call a performance-based diet for anybody that's doing heavy glycogenic or uh, glycolytic type training, but in terms of people that might have some you know, neurological problems or some other things. So, I mean, we're really kind of, uh, even though people have known about ketogenic diets for 150 years, we're still learning a lot of stuff. I mean, anybody wants to check it out more, we're going to have uh, Dr. Uh, Perlmutter on, and we've also had Kent Ford and Mauro De Pasquale and other people. So, Doc Parsley is mm -hmm. also very knowledgeable in it. So, Doc, let's wrap about that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, as you say, I've, I've been doing the, uh, the ketogenic diet myself for, a couple of years now, I guess. Um, it, I, I was really, uh, really intrigued by by it from uh, Peter Atia, who's a good friend of mine and really smart on the on the ketogenic diet. Obviously, uh, one of the leaders in that field. And um, you know, for for a guy like me, um, uh, who has you know, a, I I would say a lot more. Uh, you know, uh, cognitive and longevity goals than I do per performance, uh, any type of physical performance uh, goals. It, it's a great, it's a great diet. As you, as you talked about, uh, it's not, it's, it's not a very anabolic diet, and that makes sense to me, sort of, you know, intellectually. If you think about you know, when humans would have been in, in, in ketosis. Um, you know, ancestrally, that's during a famine, and so you know, why would why would you be you know using your body stores to be trying to do anything anabolic? Um, you're you're just trying to rip out every little fat cell that you can and produce these ketone bodies. Uh, the interesting thing how it, how it relates to sleep is some people when they when they first even if they just go to a low glycemic diet um, and they have some insulin sensitivity issues, uh, it it actually you know can cause some sleep difficulties in people. Um, and I I think uh, I think one of the reasons nobody knows the mechanisms for sure on this, um, but we know we know that people who have poorly blood uh, have poorly controlled blood glucose, uh, like you know it's, yeah, even a pre-diabetic, but definitely a diabetic who's not maybe not well managed. 
um, they they tend to have a lot of sleep problems and and they wake up a lot. You know, they wake up you know 300 times a night. They don't get good quality sleep. They're more likely to be apneic. All sorts of uh, things go on there. So if you have poor insulin sensitivity and then you go low glycemic or you go to the extreme and you go ketotic, well, yeah, no, no duh. Like you're gonna until your insulin sensitivity comes up, uh, you're probably gonna have problems sleeping. Um, but the other really interesting fact is for, for people who don't know it, um, you know, your, your brain primarily uh, um, uses uh, glucose as its fuel source and the way that's processed into energy um, creates some oxidative free radicals and so you have some oxidation which builds up some of those neurotoxins that I was talking about that actually kind of make you feel sleepy and make you feel tired and require being flushed out. Um, Key, uh, the way the way ketones, uh, beta hydroxybutyrate, is used to um, create energy in the brain doesn't uh, require any oxidation. So presumably you're going to have uh, less of these neurotoxins built up in your brain. And you know there's a there's a potential uh, that at least that aspect of sleep, which I would say is maybe one tenth of the reason that that we need sleep, would be to flush those neurotoxins out. Um, if you don't have as many neurotoxins to flush out, uh, you know, perhaps that's, you know, that's just leading to, you know, a little higher quality of sleep and, you know, maybe you need, maybe you're a normal uh, eight and a half hour person and you only need seven hours. I would think that's, that's plausible. If you go ketotic and you're only sleeping three or four hours, you know, you're, that's, that's a bad deal and you need to look into it. And as we were talking about earlier, that can indicate some, uh, pituitary stalk issues or even some, you know, it, it, now, I mean, unlikely to be a pituitary tumor, but it, it uh, most people, depending on how old you are, you know, as people age, most people tend to start getting some atrophy of, of the pituitary. A lot of people have some pituitary stalk in, injuries that they don't recognize, and so they have, they're slightly hormonally dysregulated in one area or, or another. Um, and then one final thing, the interesting thing about um, ketosis specifically is that when you have uh, when you drive your insulin levels down really high or really low I'm sorry it's, it's, I think you know I think we've talked about it, it drives your sex hormone binding globulin up um, as that sex hormone binding globulin uh, builds up that's binding your sex hormones and it's decreasing your free testosterone um, which is perhaps one reason that it interferes with anabolic you know with anabolic behavior but we know uh, through the studies that we did at the SEAL team, it's almost a direct one-to-one -one correlation. Uh, total, you know, your your how much free testosterone you have and how much time you you'll sleep. And if you you know crush somebody's uh, testosterone levels, they don't sleep well. And if somebody sleeps well, their testosterone levels are really high. Like that's just you know kind of inextricably linked there. So, Doc, um, in terms of um like a ketogenic diet and ketones in terms of like, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury. I know that, you know, um, uh, you know, TBI and other, you know, neurological problems are really, really prevalent in the SEAL teams, whether it's from, uh, you know, breaching or blasting or, you know, being around some form of, um, you know, I don't know, uh, everything that, you know, from, you know, bombs going off bullets. I mean, everything that would kind of affect neurological stuff. And then you start talking about sleep working. Uh, shift working, um, you know, obviously uh, very reckless lifestyles. Um, anybody that has ever worked with any of the guys in Naval Special Warfare know that, you know, to be good at that job, you have to be somewhat reckless, similar to NFL players. But uh, that kind of idea of, um, you know, ketogenic diets in terms of being able to 
reverse or aid or manage um, some of the you know the TBI, CTE. I mean, right now the with the concussion movie come out of the NFL, it was it's pretty interesting how many hits and how many emails I've been getting about people that are having neurological problems or ex-professional athletes, and you know their big question is you know can a ketogenic diet help me? Um, and you know just with looking for any information, I mean you know we had Ken Ford on and who you know dropped some you know great knowledge about it and uh, you know his thoughts about you know how it could help and you know the the use of ketone esters and ketone salts. Yeah, so I mean I like hit you know Ken Ford and and Dominic's uh, you know information are probably the the leading edge on that on that stuff on uh, TBI. Um, yeah, the the threshold for TBI is amazingly low when you when you look at how dynamic uh, you know something like special warfare is, or you know the even the the uh, you know the G force exerted in professional athletes um, and in any, in any kind of contact sports. Um, we know it leads to you know a ton of hormonal dysregulation, and uh, but we also know that it leads it leads to atrophy of certain brain regions. Um, and what you know what the what animal models so far are at least uh, bearing out is that if you you know if if you put somebody on a ketone uh, on a ketotic diet, they're having less oxidation, as we talked about earlier, and that and lowering the oxidative rate. Uh, tends to uh, lower the uh, de you know the decay of neurological tissue, and you know maybe it's just slowing it down and then allowing remyelinization re to happen. And of course, having you know a, a surplus of uh, you know lipids floating around for that you know of cholesterol um, products floating around to do that remyelinization. You know, that that's uh, you know in my opinion probably the the biggest mechanism of how um, you know a, a ketotic diet helps people with TBI. Now, uh, observationally, we know it helps. Right? There's there's just no doubt about it. Like we, you put somebody on a ketotic diet, and you know, if, if there's some research that says somebody's done worse, I've never seen it. Uh, people always do better cognitively. Um, you know, the problem is for uh, certain types of professions. Uh, you know, can you be, you know, glycolytic and explosive enough and, um, you know, do your job while being ketotic? Um, you know, so it, that's that's the the difficult balance point there, for, I'd say. Well, I mean, the um, there's some, you know, we, we went a little bit down the rabbit hole with uh, genetic testing, and we've been working with, uh, you know, Dan Reardon and Fitness Genes, uh, you know, try to get some, you know, just some baseline genetic stuff and see if we could help people not only with diet, but also kind of push them into a specific style of training that was both, um, you know, most advantageous for them. Uh, one of the ones that was um, pretty fascinating to me uh, was people's, uh, efficiency with dealing with carbohydrate or really, um, you know, how much carb they really need. And so there was definitely some genetic makeup for, you know, and, you know, however it all fits, it's not a one-to-one -one deal. It's actually a combination of genes. But one of the comments on mine right. was that, uh, you know, my genetic type was extremely efficient with carbohydrate, whereas, you know, Luke, for example, was uh, more inefficient with carbohydrate. And I remember when Dan was here rapping with us, I was like, well, explain this to me. What do you mean efficient? He said, you know, you get a lot out of not as much. So, you know, uh, there's, you know, you don't have to eat as much to get the same effects. Like you feel glycogen stores a lot easier with less carbohydrate than some people. And I thought, you know, that kind of makes an interesting point that, um, you know, maybe certain people function better in a, in a lower carbohydrate environment than people. And I know for Luke, when, um, when we saw that, well, the first thing we did was we just upped his carb and actually he ended up, you know, feeling better and doing well. And I know that on a higher carbohydrate diet, 
uh, I actually end up feeling worse and body composition really goes away and just even like performance wise I end up just kind of feeling really sluggish and uh, that's been you know kind of anecdotally things that we found with people where uh, you know we've run into people that you know even eating you know uh, a third you know our isochloric kind of you know balanced macro kind of approach where people be like you know this is way more carb than I'm used to I feel really tired I feel really sluggish I don't seem to be doing good whereas other people soak it up like a sponge um, I, so I yeah. this kind of begs the question that there really isn't one uh, you know macronutrient ratio that's specific for each person and I think the the more and more I get into this I realize that you know there's an you know to use the Rob Wolf um, you know typical whenever you hear Rob ever talk about everything he always talks about tinkering and I always assume that yeah. you know that that comes from his chemistry days of just fucking around in the lab tinkering all day with with uh, the lawn but um, that idea that there's just no one-size-fits-all approach. The one thing that I've found that it's a one-size-fits-all approach is uh, eating real foods. Um, and that yeah, one even yeah. kind of even perplexes me a little bit more because, uh, you know, right now in the, you know, the nutrition kind of fitness community, there's a big kind of uh, if-it-fits-your-macros uh, approach where, you know, uh, you know, food quality doesn't mean anything. It's all macronutrient ratio. And, you know what, and, and I, I think if you're looking at things from in terms of, like, your only marker for whether or not this diet or, you know, the, the approach that you're eating is whether or not you can see your abs. Technically, I've seen fucking people lean out on beer, potato chips, and beef jerky. Um, but yeah. in terms of, like, you know, health and wellness and being able to live a long, fulfilling life, uh, a diet of, you know, potato chips, uh, Cheetos, and fucking cupcakes, uh, regardless of how you balance the macronutrient ratios, while you might be able to see visible abs, it's not a diet necessarily a health or one that I want to necessarily look at the blood work and be like, awesome, your blood work looks amazing off of fucking Cheetos and cupcakes. But there's also this idea that, you know, um, that it doesn't matter and, you know, food is food and this. And um, I, I don't know when we kind of went down the road of fucking crazy people. I thought, well, you know, we dispelled the, uh, you know, the balancing of macronutrients into some secret ratio that'll somehow safeguard me for something when we, you know, stomped on various series years ago with Rob. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, I, I think that's exactly where you know organizations like yours um, are, are needed, and the, and the, you know, day to day health improvement of Americans. Um, you know, definitely physicians and you know the what we call the medical care system. Uh, which should be called, you know, it, it, it's what it should be called, medical care, not health care. Um, they, you know, doctors don't deal with health at all. They deal with disease uh, and medicines, and so it should be called disease care or medical care. Um, but, you know, guys like you who, who get, who have the opportunity and a business model that allows, you know, a lot more interaction with people and a lot more frequent interactions with people, and you can do really simple stuff, right, you know, tinker around with people's, uh, um, you know, carbohydrate load, with or without genetic testing, you can see what their insulin sensitivity is. And if their insulin sensitivity starts sucking, then that's too much carbohydrates, regardless of how they feel. That's not going to be better for, it's not going to be good for them in the long run. You know, of, of all hormones, I would say insulin is, is king. You know, cortisol would probably be the close second. But, I mean, if you don't have those two things right, um, you know, it, it's really hard to to argue that you're healthy, whether you know whether you're ripped and you know six packs out, six packed up or not. 
Um, you know, it, it, as I told in my brief intro, I mean, the, when these SEALs came and talked to me in my office about all the problems they were having, you know, I did these, I did these uh, blood panels, these serum panels that had, uh, I think is uh, either 98 or like 106 different markers that I'd learned from all these different gurus um, in this sort of functional medicine field, and I was interpreting all this stuff. And I mean, I would have. 28-year-old guys come into my office with all of these complaints, you know, that, you know, they could, you know, they take off their shirt and they look like a freaking anatomy chart. I mean, they're just completely shredded and ripped. Their performance would still be good by most people's standards, but it's not what they're used to uh, performance-wise. And then you look at their blood markers and they, you know, they look like a fat, pre-diabetic, you know, 60-year-old man, um, including their sex hormones. And, uh, you know, a lot of that had to do with sleep, but a lot of that had to do with other, other lifestyle issues as well. And one of those things is like excessive sympathetic tone. You know, from the high stress, uh, you know, high press lifestyle, um, which is where all the arousal control stuff comes in. Um, you know, to help people balance their their um, autonomics, their you know, parasympathetic and sympathetic, and that's what you know, heart math and heart rate variability and meditation and all that stuff is is uh, is meant to do. Well, I know, in at least my own experience, that um, you know, the one thing that's always kind of been universal in terms of macronutrient ratios has always been protein. I've never really seen anybody improve body composition by eating over, you know, a gram, maybe a gram and a half, uh, you know, of protein. But I've seen definite changes in body composition when people are eating under, you know, a uh, half to three fourths of a gram of protein. So it's pretty interesting when you look and be like, you know, it uh, doesn't matter what type of uh, camp you're in. You know, whether you're in a low carb, high carb, you know, this, I mean, how everybody skins it for the most part, everybody's pretty consistent on protein. And so I, you know, the comment that we, you know, that I talked at the seminar and really just kind of espoused is this idea of like, let's set up just kind of a balanced macronutrient opposed uh, based on, you know, a certain caloric load. And this is the amount of protein I want to eat. And then we're going to basically tinker with fat and carbohydrate based on you as an individual, like uh, not only genetically, um, you know, metabolically, um, age, and, uh, you know, performance dealing, and, you know, and then trying to tinker with them, trying to maximize performance on that, and it really just, uh, to me, seems like the most logical approach, and the thing which, you know, we've said so many times on this uh, podcast, is the uh, approach that makes the most sense and the most logical uh, is usually the least polarizing and the least exciting uh, approach that will have yeah. almost the least amount of followers. So, I mean, whenever I meet people that are, you know, really going through with some... Wow, you hear that thunder? El Nino. Dude, that was... Uh, I, I, I thought Luke was over there flexing his biceps for a second. Yeah, that's a stomach. But the uh, that idea of, like, uh, you know, middle of the road, it's, it's actually, frankly, what I look for for most of the people that I deal with. If somebody is too far off the fucking reservation and almost too polarizing... Where I'm like, dude, this is crazy talk. Like, you know, let's take it a step back. Let's, you know, so the light bouncer doesn't come and throw you out. Uh, but let's pull it back and, you know, look at it. And I think the thing which is least sexy in this environment, and this really kind of trips me out, is, um, you know, the approach that the side that you've taken, where you're like, hey, uh, I want you to, you know, try to, you know, nurture that uh, parasympathetic, you know, whether meditation. I want to talk about, uh, you know. Uh, you know, increasing the sleep, sleep cocktail, I mean, things that are non-crazy people opposed from, you know, we'll get, you know, maybe 20,000 views on your TED Talk versus the guy that's talking about how to biohack your sleep so you only have to sleep in 30-minute segments three times a night, and then that guy has fucking 400 million uh, views on his TED Talk. So it, yeah. it comes to me that um, 
it, it, it's almost this idea, and I, I, I can't remember who said it, but it's like if you find everybody agreeing with you and everybody on, you probably need to change your position. So, uh, yeah. And I, but I, I know the other thing we wanted to wrap at as we're kind of uh, coming to the end of our time is a little bit about meditation and that parasympathetic and sympathetic yeah. system. Just to want to jump in is I've heard that meditation plus six hours of sleep is equal to nine hours of sleep. So is, is meditation that biohack towards? Uh, I know people have a problem committing to sleep, but if you get them to commit to the practice of meditation, is that a way to kind of uh, jumpstart jumpstart some benefits? No. What I would say is um, you know it I. I, I don't know exactly what uh, like what study or, or what um, what literature that that quotes from. It, it all depends on what you're what you're measuring sleep by, right? So if if you know perhaps uh, somebody did a study and said you know if people meditate uh, six hours a day or you know sleep six hours a day, meditate um, an hour a day, then they have you know, the same heart rate variability as somebody who sleeps eight or nine hours a night or, you know, something like that. Yeah, that's that's possible. Maybe you can find a metric or two metrics or three metrics to support something like that. Um, but just like John was saying with with the nutrients, I mean, there's way more to, there's way more to, uh, you know, building, building and maintaining your physiology than, you know, how many carbs, uh, proteins, and, uh, and uh, fat. You know, molecules or, or grams you're eating. You know, um, so you know, I I don't think that there's any replacement for sleep. And what I would say is, if somebody was willing to meditate for an hour and a half a day and sleep for you know six hours a night, I would say you'd be much better off just sleeping uh, for your six hours a night and then sleep that hour and a half that you're going to meditate. Just take a 90 minute nap and then you can actually meditate during the day. I mean, there's no there's no real magic to meditation, and you know this is uh, this is um, probably the most polarizing thing I'll say all day. Um, we know we know that the uh, balance of the parasympathetics, which is you know the heart rate variability, is one of the the good ways to uh, one of the easy ways to measure how well you're balanced uh, sympathetically and and uh, parasympathetically. Um, we know for you know we know that if you slow your breathing down to four to six breaths per minute for two minutes, you you know you essentially become autonomically balanced. Um, that's what meditation is doing. When people are focusing on one thing, focusing on their breath is you is the usual way that that starts. Um, there's different forms that medit you know that focus on other things. But you know what they're really doing is they're focusing on the now. They're being really conscious of what's going on right now, which is the whole key to avoiding stress. I mean, stress uh, by definition really is just that you are living in the future, and depression is that you're living in the past. And you have to really live in the now to be sort of uh, to be sort of balanced. And and the autonomics is a really good measure of that. Um, but what we know is that people who have uh, people who are even mildly sleep deprived, like people who sleep. Uh, as you're saying, six hours a night. If we have people sleep six hours a night, they become sympathetically dominant, um, and it's because their brain is fatigued and they need more of, you know, they need more epinephrine and they need more nor norepinephrine, which are the, the, you know, the primary sympathetic uh, neurotransmitters, um, because they need these things to stimulate their brains awake. That's, you know, that's adrenal, and that's the same thing that your adrenal glands are secreting to keep you awake. And that's why adrenal function increases. Um, when you're sleep deprived, because you have to you, you have to be able to mobilize uh, fuel and energy some 
by some mechanism because you haven't done all the normal stuff. So I would I would argue that there's that I don't think that there is a replacement for sleep. Um, you would be better off if that's all you could do is sleep six hours, do your six hours sleep, find a find a way to do a 90 minute nap or three 30 minute naps during the day, and then do some breathing exercises. You know, um, and just do breathing exercises. You can do that anytime. You can breathe. You can slow your breathing down four to six breaths a minute for two minutes, and you essentially balance out your your autonomics. And you could do that a hundred times a day without changing anything about what you do, really. Hey, Doc, what what was the study that we discussed about the uh, the sleep study? Was it in Sweden where they were putting people in like a dark black room for like twelve hours, and they were sleeping, and then all of a sudden they were like you know like the they basically filled their sleep bank, and then they uh, all were sleeping about seven or eight hours a night. I thought that was Denny's. Yeah. Baseball. That's where he keeps his kids when they make noise during the podcast. All right, Doc, sorry, sorry about that. Uh, um, yeah, so uh, there's lots of versions of that. I don't know what we spoke about specifically the last time. I, I think um, the original one was what was called a, was called a bunker trial, um, and I, I can't remember where that was located, but it would have been somewhere that still had uh, a significant amount of World War II bunkers. Um, and yeah, exactly what you said. They essentially they took volunteers. Uh, volunteers tend to be college students because they're the only ones that really have the time or are motivated by the small amount of money that a research trial will give. Um, so, but what they did is they put them in this dark room for 12 hours a day. Uh, actually, I take it back. They put them in the dark room for 14 hours a day. Um, and all that was in there was a toilet and a bed. Um, it was a cool room. It was completely dark. Uh, there was nothing, nothing for them to do, no way for them to stimulate themselves awake, um, and they uh, they found that the average person was sleeping about 12 and a half hours when they first started, um, and that's because we're all walking around with a sleep debt, just like we're, you know, most Americans are walking around with credit card debt, most Americans are walking around with a, with a sleep debt. This is the same thing. You deprive yourself of sleep, and it has to be caught upon. It has to be paid back. Um, so they were sleeping about 12 and a half hours a day on average at the beginning, um, and then over the course of three to four weeks, I think maybe the longest was about six weeks, people would just titrate down to where they were sleeping seven and a half hours a day in this uh, completely dark room, which, uh, you know, the flip side of that is really the amazing thing to me that um, if, you know, if you could lay in a completely dark, cool room with no stimulus around, and stay awake for six and a half hours. <laughs> you know, you you don't need any sleep. Uh, like that, that would be a pretty hard thing for almost anybody I know to do, even me. Like I don't. Well, know I don't know. I mean, it depends on how many days times you're cranking it. Because <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure that's what they were in there doing, just cranking it all day. <laughs> that's called the crank study. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was a Luke Summers study. Who you know? Oh. Would you? Did you put me stay home from school one day and what cranked it 39 times and? No, that was my buddies that legitimately told us 30 plus one day. Yeah, I stayed home from school plus. and just cranked it 30 <laughs> times. How did he sleep, though? He slept great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was so tired and so calorie deprived. He actually lost 40 pounds. So there's a diet that I actually, let's put that diet out, the crank it diet. <laughs> Squeeze out the poison, man. It's that, yeah, yeah. It's, that, it's that poison that's causing all the problems. All right, on that note. Uh, Doc, hey, th thanks for uh, coming on. That was amazing. And um, yeah, we'll, thanks for having uh, me. Oh yeah, we uh, got. We're gonna have a link. Oh set yes, up. yes, yes. We're gonna have a link set up for you guys. If those of you listening, we'll post it up and do a blog post about it. 
uh, on Talk Me Johnny and, and Power Athlete about the Seek Cocktail. And if you guys want to give it a try, we'll post up a link where you can find it. And, and some uh, common do's and don'ts. Do use it as advised. Do not put it in your butt like Fisher did. Yeah. So be a doer. Don't be a Fisher, which would insert it into his skin. He, he likes to keister it. So, yeah, that's why he's known as Fisher Keister. But, uh, and hey, it's, John, we gave you a discount code too, right? Oh, we yeah, did. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I'll, we'll get all the details yeah. up in the post and then all in the blog post associated with uh, with this show. So head to powerathletehq.com, click on the blog, then radio. You'll find it in there. And uh, or just search Kirk Parsley, yeah. But um, anything else, Doc, that you want to share with the, with the audience? No, you guys are just a shiny, happy group of folks, man. I appreciate being on. Doc, I'm sad we don't get to see each other more, seeing as you're jet-setting, San Diego, Texas, Australia. This guy's like an international world traveler. You know, uh, yeah. Doc, we've been trying to get together to do this blood glucose test for like four years. Yeah. And uh, his his follow-through is about as good as mine. <laughs> yeah. One well, of us hey, is going to have to – one of us will have to get in our car and drive to the other dude, one. Dude, if, if you are I, – I will gladly – I'll get in the car right now if you actually tell me where you are. Every time I talk to you, you're like, ah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. This guy's just a jet setter, you know? But you, you tell me when you're in San Diego, and I will get and I will come down. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my next dates, and you can come to my house, and we'll sit there and do two our OGT TT together. And then we'll just start taking lots of uh, sleep cocktails. See what happens. We'll like, hey, we're going to do some blood glucose testing and sleep cocktails. So we're going to get whacked up and then whacked down. Yeah, mix it. I think we were mixing it with eight yeah. to ten ounces of vodka as well. Well, it actually that worked out well. Well, So I took three packets. Mixed it in Red Bull and then added vodka, <laughs> and then you know what? That, that way I was jacked up, down, uh, upper, downer, downer was the yeah. was the recipe, legit. Yeah. So thanks, Doc. I really appreciate yeah. it. And and and, it, and, it, and by the way, I, you know, Adam, I guess this is going up pretty soon, but probably within the next month or you know, probably not month, but the next couple of months, we're changing the name. Apparently, that's a terrible name. Uh, the sleep cocktail for all sorts of marketing reasons. That's a really bad name, but it'll still be the same product. So, what will it be called? We'll uh, just the roofie. The roofie. The roofie. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to be called. I'm let my marketing team decide that. They're they're doing all their little millennial uh, keyboard geeking stuff and figuring out uh, what people like, and they're going to mm-hmm. come up with a new name and we're going to throw out some new packaging and all that stuff. So. We'll we'll have to you know send you some new banners and whatever when that happens, but it, it's going to be the same product. Just have to change the name. Awesome, Doc. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. I'll talk to you guys See later. You guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Keep your eyes peeled on PowerAthleteHQ.com for more details on Dr. Parsley's highly effective sleep cocktail. If you want to view other publications or research from Doc, head over to www.docparsley.com or follow him on Instagram at Kirk Parsley. I know it's a little late, but happy new year to everyone. Don't forget in 2016, do more and suck less.